In 2016, scientists on Earth detected a fast radio burst from a distant region of space with no observable SARS. The following transmissions were declassified by the scientific community and given to us to present as the Binary Saga. Log entry, Vela 86. Vela Rotat 2710. Cycle 5 of the 11th Annual. Welcome home, Siege. Glad to see you made it back to Hymavina. It sounds like you are really getting settled in there on Viron. Given how you described it, I can understand why you, and even the girls, might want to stay. While I have limited experience with how young girls react to change, from what I have seen of Pei's reaction to things, your girls had a pretty standard response. Jaru has attempted to take Pei up into space a few times on routine runs she does, or even to Lakula R for an extended vacation. You would think that getting the chance to go up to see what your mom does for a living, or even just go up to space, would be exciting for any kiddo. Pei's reaction was much different than expected. Why can't my friends go? I can't be gone for that long. And my favorite, why are you trying to ruin my life? Usually, Soma and Joru just force the issue and drag Pei along. That's when the magic happens. Usually, she will complain the entire time on the way to the launch, and maybe a little after. But as soon as she's up there, everything changes. Pei will get excited about everything and have a great time. Afterwards, she will talk about the experiences with her friends and all of them get jealous over what she went to do. This is, of course, until the next time they want to take her on a trip. The whole process starts all over again. But if you try and remind her about how much fun she had the last time, you'll just get a response of, but this time I have important things to do. What important things does a 15 rotat old kid have? I took some time and read through Rune's latest book. He really did an incredible job of paying respect to the sport and all the dangers in it. His depictions show that he really dived into the experience. I could feel the tension in each of those accidents he described. I have seen many of the situations he recounted first web back when I was sailing. Getting to the chapter about Andy's death was emotionally engaging and heartbreaking. It's certainly one thing when you are reading an account like this or even writing about it, if it's someone else that you have no connection to. But with Andy, it felt so much more real. It must have taken him ages to get through that part because I could really tell the attachment and care that he put into that recreation of events. It's a touching story and an excellent tribute to the sport and to Andy himself. Let Rune know that I have sent copies of the book to my old skiff team and they're all very excited to read it. You were on the cusp of breaking news about the Haxa accident as I didn't hear anything about it until a few cycles after your transmission came in. Since I have been part of the team that has been going out and investigating the anomaly, I had a few channels that I could reach back to to find out information. Sure enough, the sensor buoys we have placed along the edge of the border, as well as the craft that we have patrolling the area, all picked up some strong signals when the accident happened. Everything that the VSA has gathered shows that the signals interrupting systems on any vessel are coming from the edge of the Von La system. The strange thing is that we have detected some time lag in when the signals show up. 
a few of the times when we've activated our own detection devices, it's instantaneous, and others, it has been a few subtides before an interruption occurs. This leads our scientists to believe that whatever's causing this is in an orbital rotation. They just haven't figured out exactly where yet. The VSA has packaged up all of this information and sent it to HAXA as soon as they heard there was going to be an investigation into the accident. Also included was a message of condolence for the loss of the brave engineer. They wanted to make sure that your Sam Coma knew that the VSA was being completely transparent in the research for the anomaly. I don't know if it will arrive in time, or if any of your more traditionalist members will pay attention to it, but it's worth a chance to show that we are doing everything we can to help. Using my pole as a commander on one of the research vessels, investigating the anomaly, I have requested another trip out to Tanga. I did this in anticipation that you may be on the next trip, so I'm glad to see that you're throwing your line in the water for it. Can you believe it? This might actually happen. Something that we have been waiting for pretty much our entire lives. Forget what the press has to say about any of it. I don't care about headlines or interviews. I just want to be able to see you in person. Just do me a favor. Don't pull your name out at the last minute. This has been a long time in the making, and I don't plan on anything stopping me from coming. I'm so happy to see that you're getting out and experiencing life again. Your time on Viron seems to have been really good for you. I remember early on that I used to get really jealous of all the places that you would visit, mostly because back then I had really wanted to be the one by your side when we could see all of those places you described and have those experiences together. Now that the two of us are older and travel being what it is, it makes me happy to see that you're enjoying it. I'm even happier to see that you're doing it with Bjorn. He strikes me as someone that knows exactly what you need and when you need it. He has gone through so much in his own life that he knows what you're going through and has always been there for you if you needed support. Not that you need much help with your life, seeing as how you are leading a major corporation on a stunning breakthrough like your new gaming system. Seriously, that's great news for you and your house. We have been seeing the press releases for your new system for a while now back on Vela. As someone who loves to play games, I have been a little jealous of the system since it was first announced. I just didn't want to say anything until it was released. Javi and I were both very excited to get copies of the expansion for Realm of the Fallen Oracle, but after it goes through the system translation to work on Velen hardware, it doesn't look nearly as good as it does on your system. When we get to Tanga, we need to make sure that we sit in on the trade discussions to get manufactured goods imported soon. I can guarantee that Velens won't care what color the system comes in if it gets sent over, so you don't have to worry about complaints from here. So the rumors are confirmed now that the secret identity of the superhero known as Captain Cosmos is none other than Bjorn Lorelin. I knew it. How else can you explain that they've never been seen in the same place at the same time? He just happens to have the entire outfit on hand to entertain children? And he knows exactly what the inside of Captain Cosmos' spacecraft looks like? In detail? I examined those photos very closely and can confirm that only someone who had intimate knowledge could recreate that. Please let Bjorn know that I'm honored to be let into the secret circle 
of those who know of his alternate identity and have no plans to leak any of this insider information to the press. Please ask him if there's a chance he would need another Galacticid. And do you think I would look good in the costume? I know I'm probably too old for the role, but I can dream, can't I? It's so cool that you're looking into the ancient myths and legends of Haimavala with your girls. Your planet has so much history to it, both pre- and post-Sidistanda, that there is so much to learn. You know that I have never been much for diving into history myself, but the older I get, the more fascinating it becomes. Learning about our ancestors and what drove them to make the decisions that they made can always help us learn about what we can do now for the future of both of our civilizations. For example, Mom thought it would be a good idea to brush up on some of the historical rulings from the council. Not from recent rotats, but from back when the council was newly formed. This was my homework to prepare for my hearing. Some of the ancient rulings were flat-out ridiculous. Did you know that the early local council that was set up in Druskar had a law on their record that prevented any Velen from accessing the transit streams if they had a dead fish in their pocket? From what I had read, the ruling was intended to prevent larger predators from following the trail into the transit streams and causing a disturbance. With the advent of the transit stream gating system, this was no longer a problem, but the rule stayed on the records for so many rotats afterwards that most people just forgot about it. It's rulings like this that were the basis of Mom's legislation to have many of these old laws abolished due to technological and societal changes. Which leads me to the part of my transmission that I'm sure you are more eager to hear about. Shortly after I returned home from my investigation run with the VSA, I attended my hearing with the council for the remission of ceremonial banishment due to the infractions of Kezi and Nosu. Most of the other hearings that took place for others were small and handled by local councils. Due to a number of factors like my position with the VSA, mom's appointment to the primary council, and recognition of Kezi's accomplishments, my hearing was to be held in CNR with all of the highest council members, with the exception of my mother, who was disqualified from judgment. It all started with a recap of the law on record that no Velen would participate in an unauthorized mating ceremony in an effort to curb overpopulation and cause a strain on natural and manufactured resources. Any Velen caught violating this law would be severely punished. Punishment would include a loss of status for the offenders, work details in less than desirable positions, and the removal of any offspring to be remanded to a caregiver of the council's choosing. Said offspring would also be prevented from participating in future ceremonies. The originating authors of the law determined that the child in question was not supposed to have been given forth, and thus tips the scales on population control. By preventing the child from mating, balance could be maintained. When the law was created, the punishment was deemed so harsh that no Velen would dare break it. In fact, the first 900 rotats of the rule's inception, there had been only 10 infractions on record. The problem was that in the last 200 rotats, infrastructure and society has changed to the point where production of resources is much higher. More Velens are choosing not to participate in mating, 
and our outlook on general punishment has changed so much that the ruling seems overly harsh, especially when it comes to the children involved. My advocate did an outstanding job of presenting my case to the council. She brought up a number of accomplishments that have benefited our society, directly and indirectly linked to my involvement. This included things like exploration of another solar system and the Haimavina relations. The way she conveyed it, it made it sound like the trade talks would have never happened if I had not been born. Crazy, right? I would have loved to have you there as a character witness. There was apparently a line of people who felt the same as you and showed up to give testimony to the deeds that I have done and the impact I have had on their lives. The final witness was not actually present, but presented via a recorded video message. It was from Nosu, my natural mother. I had no idea this was going to happen. In many of the other appeals, the natural parents were called upon to give a statement, but I figured that it wouldn't happen with mine due to Kezi being gone and I had presumed that Nosu had passed as well. It turns out that Aaron had actually reached out to Nosu 12 rotats ago. She knew that mom was working on the appeal process and thought that Nosu's accounting of events may be valuable to the process. So Aaron visited Nosu to do an interview for the council. She never mentioned it to me because she wasn't sure this day would come. When Nosu appeared on the screen, Aaron, who was sitting directly behind me, reached up and grasped my web. When I turned back to look, she had already started to flood. Nosu recounted all of the events that led up to the illegal mating ceremony. She explained that she was unaware of the nature of the ceremony's standing, and she was unsure if Kezi knew what they were doing. She was upfront and honest about all of her interactions. She even went on to apologize for so many of her actions before and after the ruling was dictated by the council. At the end of the recording, she pleaded with the council not to punish me for her and Kezi's crimes, and then turned directly to the camera and said, And to you, Jason, I only wish for you to live your best life and spend it with those that truly love you. My advocate informed the council that two annuals after the recording was done, Nosu passed away. She was given a minimal funeral as per her status, and that with her passing, the fullest extent of the punishment had been fulfilled. The council adjourned to debate their ruling. My advocate brought Aaron, Mom, and myself to a small antechamber to wait away from prying eyes. As you can imagine, the wideband was also watching this specific hearing. While we waited, I just sat and held Aaron, thanking her for all that she had done. After four subtides of waiting, we were brought back into the council chambers for the final verdict. The council decided that... Oh, hey, sorry CJ, one second, that's Aaron, I need to take this. Hey there, Rika. Yeah, I'm just finishing up on some stuff and then I'll get my packing done. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, I have the gifts for the girls. No, I don't think she is bringing them. I know Tanga is nice, but it's going to be boring for kids. Did you make that appointment yet? 
Well, just let me know where and when, and I will be there. Yep, love you too. Okay, sorry. Aaron is really excited that we will finally get to meet on Tanga and wants to make sure that I have everything ready. I'm literally getting ready to leave for the station now. My flight leaves in about six subtides, and she is fussing over every detail. I really don't know why she's so focused on my trip when she has her own things to deal with. Her work has really taken off with a new update that they're making to the SI and some of the new mapping configurations they're implementing. That and she's trying to train up a few new technicians to handle her workload while she... Oh! Telak! I forgot to continue the story! The council decided that in light of all that I have done throughout my career and the circumstances of the intent behind my forthcoming, they will be repealing the judgment of banishment from ceremonies for me. Which means that Aaron and I will be able to perform a mating ceremony. Due to both of our schedules and other environmental factors, we have to schedule it, which is another thing that Aaron has been working on. So, how do you feel about being called Auntie CJ soon? I'll fill you in on all the details when I see you at Tanga. See you soon. Jason, 56. Log entry. Hi, Mavina, 86. 2391, Age of Enlightenment. Hey, Jason. Well, first off, I'm so excited for you both. I already messaged everyone, and we are all so thrilled. My mom flooded when I told her that your appeal was granted. She immediately hung up with me to message your mom. This is such an incredible blessing. I was so moved to hear that Aaron reached out to Nosu and that she got to spend some time with her. I am sorry to hear that Nosu passed away. I know that it happened a long time ago, but my sympathies are with you just the same. And for what it's worth, you can take comfort in knowing that she truly only wanted what was best for you. And even in her last days, your happiness was still her dying wish. So, is Erin pregnant now? Is she enjoying her pregnancy crush accommodations? I'd like to imagine the crush as an enjoyable spa where attendants are at your beck and call and you are served food on crystal trays and young gorgeous velens massage her swollen feet. Please don't tell me otherwise or it will ruin my fantasy. <laughs> I'm sending Aaron good vibes for an easy pregnancy and a quick labor. I do not wish anyone else to be in labor for 14 hours like I was with Astra. My unsolicited new parent advice is to cherish the first years because they grow up so fast. Some of my favorite memories were just watching the girls sleep in their cribs. I miss those tiny hands gripping my fingers. Oh, and those sweet smiles when they first recognized me. Babies are just the best. Pretty soon, before you know it, your child will be swimming and talking and going to big kid school. Speaking of, Aster turned eight years old and sat for her academy pre-entrance exams. Can you believe it? Honestly, I was a little worried because Astra was the last student to finish the exam and walked out of the auditorium with the academy professor. The professor later explained to me that Astra stayed behind to let him know that she found errors in the test. Needless to say, Astra aced her exams and will be in the advanced classes for the next four years before she can actually apply to be a first-year student. 
When I messaged Raythea about her scores, I was expecting the same level of excitement as the rest of my family. But she wanted to know why I had not discussed the girls' formal education plans with her, because she knew that Andy wanted his children to be educated on Alondra. As you can imagine, my parents were livid and said that Raythea was manipulating me. And I told him that Andy and I never settled on where the girls were to be educated. In fact, it was something that we bickered about after Astra was born. As the three of us discussed it, Bjorn turned to Astra and asked her where she wanted to go to school. And Astra replied, I want to go to school where mommy went, so I can have Velen friends too. Bjorn smiled at her and grinned mischievously at the rest of us and said, Ooh, can I be the one who tells Raythea? In broader news, the Sam Coma election season has finally ended. The traditionalist coalition will maintain their power, and Helena Uklin will keep her seat as speaker. The traditionalists had a very simple message that wasn't necessarily based in fact, but it played on people's fears, and that seemed to work. <laughs> what really angers me is that it should have been an easy win for the Lithian Alliance, but the party just blew it. Instead of highlighting their platform, which includes the benefits of planetary trade among the systems, Velen relations, and scientific advancements, they played defense and were drowned out by Helena's loudest supporters. I remember complaining to Oli about this, and he said that he had raised the same concerns to the party leader, who is now the shadow minister, but was completely brushed off. <laughs> Unbelievable. As for the Hoxha ship incident, the Samcoma received the VSA's information just in time for the hearings. The incident was ruled as an unfortunate accident, but that did not stop the traditionalists from pointing fingers at everyone anyway. Selma, the head of House Hagen, did not disappoint. She responded to every question posed by a traditionalist in ancient. When they asked her to translate, she remarked, Oh, you don't understand ancient? My apologies. My understanding of your political platform was preservation of the ancient traditions. <laughs> Jeremy, who was sitting at the table next to her, just put his hand over his face, trying not to laugh. As expected, Jeremy was questioned mercilessly, and he did a great job and probably saved Hox's funding. Since Bjorn was on Heimavina under happier circumstances than last time, my dad decided it was time for the long-awaited Napa Valley Brewery Tour. Once Erko and Sonnet arrived, everyone flew up to the Fjallstad estate for our long weekend. We all ventured out to the breweries, who gave us private tours and set up exclusive tastings. Each night, after we all lounged around the fire pit, the conversation always returned to starting our own family brewery. My grandmother Vera would start the conversation by saying that my grandfather's Mikkel and Lars make better Bjor than anything we tasted that day, which everyone agreed. And my dad and Bjorn came up with at least a dozen rough business plans, all on napkins, and the rest of us would fight over who would be chief taster. <laughs> Bjorn also attended his first old family gala, and I watched him flash his perfect smile as he was announced. Bjorn changed up the protocol and stopped to shake a few people's hands, or kiss a cheek, as he made his way down the stairs. Nobody knows how to work a crowd like Bjorn. I wasn't working that evening, 
so I enjoy the Bjorn show from my table as I watched his many admirers giggle a little louder and stand a little taller when they spoke with him. But he kept sneaking glances over at me and winked when I caught his eye. Our group opted to leave before the dancing began and head to Olga Yalin's yacht. It seemed criminal to be inside on such a beautiful night. Besides, it was more fun. <laughs> like I mentioned in my last message, the girls were very excited to see the newly re-excavated ruins of the Vicksburg Castle in Northeast Yoder. As the legend goes, Empress Hera's forces made their last stand at the castle after a seven-year war against a violent group of marauders. Before the victory, her first husband and true love of her life, Ivar, was killed. His sister, the famed warrior Astra, fought off 17 warriors to bring Hera to safety. It has been over 6,000 years since these events supposedly occurred. And while most Alithians believe that the legend is a fable, the revelation that Haimavina survived and the ruins actually exist has ancient literature experts flocking to Vicksburg in droves. I've attached a copy of the original story for you. Jason, my attached pictures do not do the enormous castle justice. That the castle was built with rudimentary tools is awe-inspiring. During the tour, the guide mentioned that the snowpack and the frigid temperatures following the Citus Onda probably protected the castle's complex from further environmental damage. Of course, my girls are budding romantics and wanted to see everything related to Empress Hera and Lord Ivar. We toured the lawn where they wed, their chambers, and their tomb. Out on the overlook to the bay, there is a beautifully preserved statue of the beloved couple. Ivar stands behind Hera with his arms around her, and they both face out towards the bay. Bjorn put his arms around me to mimic the statue and leaned close and whispered, I see the family resemblance. You look just like her. I should mention that Empress Hera is Empress Hera Jorgensen. <laughs> now, before you go telling people I'm royalty, Remember, she lived 6,000 years ago. And while Jorgensen is not a common family name, the chances of me being a direct descendant would be pretty extraordinary. Even Aaron would back me up on the statistical chances of that. Anyway, after the castle tour, the five of us walked around the village of Vicksburg, which has been completely reconstructed using photos from the ancient library to recreate the beautiful stone buildings and cobblestone streets. Jorgensen banners hung from the light poles and the castle's garrisons, and several of the shop owners and other tourists were dressed up in pre-ancient costumes as they walked around the village. Unsurprisingly, the girls wanted costumes, and Bjorn was happy to accommodate them. Pretty soon, we were all in costume and looked like we just stepped out of one of the legendary stories the girls loved. Bjorn also spoiled the girls with every silly tchotchke they wanted, including wooden swords and a set of fake field stones. The shops capitalize on the legend that Hera and Ivar once had a pair of field stones, but Ivar's field stone was lost the night he died. No one really knows for sure if that story's real, as Hera's field stone was never found either. While we were walking, another tourist told Bjorn that his daughters were beautiful, and Bjorn politely said that he couldn't take credit for their beauty. And I quietly laughed and I told him that they were probably including me in the compliment, as I'm young enough to be his daughter. 
Yorn whispered. Well, let's not give anyone a reason to think that. And then he slipped his hand in mine. We just kept smiling at each other as we walked. And the girls kept giggling at us and saying that we looked like Hera and Ivar. When we arrived at our hotel, we discovered the three-room suite we had reserved was really a two-room suite in an extra sitting area. The girls beelined to their room, while I stood in the doorway to the other room, staring at a single, large bed. Bjorn came up behind me and said, So, which side do you want? (laughs) I helped the girls get ready for sleep, and I set them up with their favorite animated film. Bjorn and I changed into our lounge clothes and tried not to discuss the gigantic Elgar in the room. Eventually, our awkwardness turned into jokes, and we finally curled up together like it was any other evening on the sofa back on Viron, and fell asleep. When I woke in the morning, we were sleeping together like nested spoons, and I smiled at how natural it seemed as Bjorn shifted behind me. He leisurely pulled me close and whispered, Hmm, am I dreaming? And I reached under my arm and I tickled him in his side like I do with the girls. Bjorn is super ticklish and immediately rolled away from me laughing. And then he pulled me close again and nuzzled a part of my neck that always makes me laugh. The tickling turned into a playful wrestling match. And because I still practice narrow contact, I quickly pinned Bjorn's wrist to his pillow. We were still laughing until we realized our very compromising position. Bjorn's eyes sparkled as he smiled at me. And I clasped thumbs with him, leaned down, and kissed him. He quickly deepened the kiss, which I felt through my whole soul. And it wasn't even weird. It felt completely right. And I didn't want to stop. And I could tell he didn't either. (laughs) But the sound of the girls in the living room brought us back to reality. And we giggled quietly. (laughs) Our next Wednesday night out felt like a real date. (laughs) I can't even remember where we went to eat. Because all I remember was what a great time we had. Unfortunately, our reverie was short-lived. Because as we returned to Laureland Vacation Home, Bjorn received a fleet comms message from Nikolai that Elena had been in a lab accident. We were lucky to get Bjorn on the last flight back to the Elithine system. Elena turned out to be fine. She got knocked back and hit her head. The doctors kept her overnight as a precaution because she's over 160. Her pride was the only thing that got bruised. Bjorn's message that his mom was fine also mentioned that his mom apparently scolded his dad for making such a big deal over it. Bjorn told me to have a great time with you on Tanga Station, and that he would be eagerly waiting for me when I returned to Viron. (laughs) A few weeks later, I headed out to Tanga Station for the third round of trade talks. Of course, when I arrived, I found out you weren't there. At least now I know you had a really good excuse, so I forgive you. (laughs) Hopefully you received my huge crate by now. Yes, you will have to share those cases of Vin with your mom. Also, I spoiled Aaron with a bunch of self-care essentials, like bath products, candles, and other little silly things. The items were supposed to comfort her while you were away on your missions. But now that I know that she'll be a mommy soon... She might enjoy them when she needs a break. Also, there's a box for you from Bjorn. 
He says he hopes it fits. Sidekick. <laughs> the trade talks were all business this time around. No formal ceremonies, no official photos, and no scheduled cocktail parties. I had a couple meetings with a few Valen Technology manufacturers, but nothing was settled. Nikolai made it in time to present his monoculture lecture, which was excellent. Because there was no events, Nikolai and I met in the evenings for dinner. However, on the last evening, Nikolai and the other anthropologists met their Valen counterparts for cocktails, so I had dinner with Leif Verlana, the scion of House Verlana. He filled me in on the progress that they made regarding agriculture of this round, and we chatted about my recent tour of the Napoa Valley, and how his ancient family's vineyard is producing grapes there once again. He also confided that his wife has been dying to introduce me to their grandson, and thinks us a perfect match. I told him that I was flattered, but then I just smiled and didn't say anything after that. Leaf said, "Hmm, I figured as much." It was worth a shot, but now I have to know who is making you blush. <laughs> I just laughed, and I told him that it would take at least an entire bottle of vin to get that information. Leave called for a server and ordered us another bottle of vin. <laughs> I've told you before, Leaf is hilarious. No, I didn't tell him who. <laughs> When I returned home. My girls wanted to know what gifts I had for them from Uncle Jason and Auntie Erin. You should know that Ragna has already disassembled that CS3 toy to figure out how it works. Kai and Mari's twins loved the plushies. Can you believe they are already three? Like my twins, Kai's girls look just like our mom. Thank you again for all of the gifts. On my way back to Viron. I dropped the girls off at the Vinstrasses on Alandra, for a couple of weeks for their school break. The girls were delighted to see their uncles and ran at full speed toward Lucas and Oren when they met us at the shuttle pad. I helped the girls settle in Andy's old apartment, and it was the first time I was back on the compound, and I didn't feel sad. After dinner, when I was leaving, Rathia handed me two bags of her amazing pastries. In typical mom fashion. She always tells me that I'm too thin and I need to eat more, so she sends me back to Viron with goodies. But this time, the goodies came with commentary, as she reminded me that the exams for Brengard prep were coming up. <laughs> I decided to thank her and table Astra's education discussion for another time. The following morning, I landed on Viron, and Bjorn was waiting for me at the Talina shuttle port. He smiled and said. You landed just in time for breakfast. Where do you want to go? I grinned, and I told him to take us back to my house, where we stayed in all weekend. <laughs> Eventually, our secret weekend would be discovered, because by Sunadog, my front door chimed, and it was Janine. But she barely glanced up from her hand terminal as she walked past me into the house. She asked if I had seen her dad. Because all of his messages had been vague, and then I watched her look up and see her dad standing in my kitchen, in nothing but a robe. Bjorn looked at her and calmly said, "Sweetheart, I did mention that I was going to be busy this weekend." 
Janine spun around towards me with a huge smile on her face, slapped my butt, and cackled with laughter as she left. <laughs> Janine must have messaged everyone, because when we arrived at Sonnet and Erico's for brunch, everyone had a joke or innuendo at our expense. It was as hilarious and embarrassing as you imagine. Yes, even my dad made jokes. <laughs> we had the impression that no one was surprised and that they had been rooting for us to finally get together. After the girls got back, we were pretty good about hiding our relationship from them. I guess, looking back, I wasn't sure how to start that conversation with them. Bjorn would quietly leave my house before the girls got up in the mornings, and nothing really changed because Bjorn was always at the house, and was often still there after the girls went to sleep. But one lazy Saturday morning, we slept in, and the girls crashed into my room and jumped on the bed with us. They didn't seem at all surprised to see their Uncle B sleeping in Mommy's bed. The girls demanded his famous apple waffles, and once they all piled out of the room, I asked Bjorn seriously if he was sure he wanted to be with me, because he would have to raise kids all over again. And Bjorn wrapped his arms around me and said, With you? more than anything. After breakfast, we went into the great room and told the girls about us. And they were so happy. Bjorn then said to them, I don't want to replace your daddy, but I was hoping maybe you will let me love you all. And the girls hugged him and told him that they loved him too. It's only been a few months, but I feel like Bjorn and I have been together for years. Everything is effortless and oddly familiar, like he and I have done this before. Probably doesn't hurt that we've been close friends for almost 20 years. We have no intention of publicizing our relationship. If we're seen together, so be it. But our private lives are our own. <laughs> I just never expected to wake up every morning in the arms of the smugly self-confident, <laughs> always amorous, and incredibly loving, Bjorn Laurelin, whom I absolutely love. Life is full of surprises. Love, CJ, age 57. Log entry, Vela 87. Vela Rotat, 2711. Cycle 2 of the Ninth Annual. Hey, hey, Siege. Well, it would appear that something actually did stop me from making it out to Tanga Station. So, yeah, sorry about that. But I had a really good excuse. I won't even be waiting until the end of this transmission to tell you the good news. I would like to introduce you to our newest addition. Little Baby Nasu. She was given forth just two annuals ago, and both her and Aaron are doing well. As you can see from the photos, she has a mix of both Aaron's and my own coloring in her scales. While her true eye colors haven't come in yet, there are already streaks of green that we can see, so she is clearly going to take after her mother. We named her Nasu to honor my natural mother, since she did so much to actually make this event happen. Without her testimony at the hearing, little Nasu wouldn't be here with us now. 
I asked mom if that would be okay with her, and she hugged me close and said that there was already a new Ori out there in the universe, so of course it was okay. She mentioned that she was proud of both of us for looking to the future and reconciling our pasts, and that it was a fitting honor for her friend. I should probably let you know how all of this happened. When I last messaged you, I was all set for the trip to Tanga. We had plans to attend a mating ceremony as soon as I returned. Aaron had interviewed at multiple different facilities and had all of the reservations set. She began the process of taking the appropriate supplements that aid in the process. As I had mentioned before, Velens only have one opportunity to complete a mating and it has to be the right conditions. I had left Vela on my shuttle and was already on board the craft waiting for the rest of the loading to finish when I got a call that Aaron was experiencing some side effects from the supplements. This caused an escalation of hormones in her system and jump-started the effect they had on her body. While these types of complications are not unheard of, they are very rare. The crew of the transit vessel had a shuttle prepped for me when I got to the docking bay and I flew back down to the surface. I'm glad that you got the message and packages that I left with the deck officer to pass on to you at Tanga. Mom had made some calls and found a sanctioned facility that had a last minute opening for a mating ceremony, but we needed to get there quickly. I had never had a formal escort from the landing pad before. When I arrived, there were four vehicles waiting for me to take me to meet Aaron. When I walked into the mating facility, I was greeted by Jonah and Kessa, who were also there to perform their own ceremony. They were scheduled to mate with two of their friends, but the others had to cancel. The process began with the introductions and instructions for the ceremony. We got to know our new pool mates and the maintainers for the pool. Due to Aaron's condition, this was rushed a little more than normal, but Jonah and Kessa were wonderful and supportive. They had been studying and rehearsing the ritual and helped Aaron and I out since we weren't entirely ready. They say that extreme situations can lead to lasting friendships. I can tell you that is absolutely true. Without them, I think we would have been lost. Kessa and Aaron went off for final preparations while Jonah and I went to the spawning pool room. We went into our individual corners to wait. Soon, the girls emerged from their side of the room and entered the pool. I could swear that I saw Aaron radiating energy. She looked so lovely. At that point, the ceremony began and Jonah and I started our circles. Jonah was a lot more graceful than I could ever be, especially since I had no practice in what I was supposed to be doing. I never imagined that I would be part of something like this, so it wasn't high on my study list. And I thought I had much more time. Aaron just watched me and giggled when I would flounder, but eventually we drew closer and embraced just as Jonah and Kessa did. After that, it was all a blur. When we were all finished, the girls were taken back to perform a few tests to ensure that everything was successful. They came back out and joined us in the pool for the after ceremony, which is really just more of a celebration of the four of us. Later that evening, Aaron and I went home and just held each other close. As Aaron started to fall asleep, 
I leaned my head against her belly and whispered, Hey there, little one. When you are older, I'm going to show you the whole galaxy. Over the next few cycles, we began making appointments for Aaron's crash time. All of our previous plans were thrown out of the airlock, so we were starting over fresh. Thanks to updated technology and medicine, the crash time has actually been reduced to only two annuals. Where back in Mama Amai's time, they would have to remain there for almost the full term. A crash is usually just a large building like a hotel or a lavish hospital, with a whole slew of rooms and women in various stages of their pregnancy. Monitors are set up to ensure that everything is going well and the mothers are waited on for everything that they could need. This all ties back to much older traditions. You see, hundreds of rotats ago, it was very common for pregnancies to fail if the mother wasn't properly taken care of. There are lots of conspiracy theories out there that the tradition started because the mothers just didn't want to deal with paranoid fathers, but I have seen some of the statistics in the history books. Hey, I did manage to do some studying. Thankfully, in modern times, there is a lot of in-home care that can be done to reduce the time needed in the crash. Trust me, while we were at home, Erin got taken care of just as well as if she were in the best crash out there. Mom saw to that, actually. We had a nursemaid move in with us to care for her the whole time until she was ready to go in. Erin was not at all pleased with that situation. She was convinced that she was fine and that she had work to get done. Even after she was two annuals out, she still managed to take her terminals with her. She said that she was working on the next iteration of an expanded SI that could map out all of the surrounding star systems. But I occasionally caught her shopping for various things for Nasu. As for me, I was practically under house arrest while Aaron was with child. Between mom, the VSA, and even Javi, I had a number of security restrictions placed on my travel. I couldn't even go up into orbit. So when I wasn't at home doting upon my lovely mate, I was either at the SI labs continuing Aaron's work or at the VSA working with the technicians on the CS4 project. I really wanted to go up and see the CS4 being built at the fabrication station, but any time I tried to board a shuttle there, red lights flashed and I was denied entry. Stupid security. The CS4 is nearly finished now, and from what I have seen of it, it makes the Pramuka look like a city jumper shuttle. It's huge. Built to accommodate close to a thousand crew members and their schools. Since it's being built out as a long-distance exploration vessel, they are making room for all sorts of accommodations. It's not just the lavish embellishments either. The entire design has been overhauled. Improved shielding on every system and an advanced SI that is eerily close to self-aware. I spoke with a version of the SI at the lab, and when I made a sarcastic comment at it, I could swear I heard it laugh. I guess that all that work that Aaron has been doing is paying off. When her crash time was finished, we met with Jonah and Kessa back at the mating facility for the giving forth. This part of the ceremony is almost a reverse of what we had done before. Jonah and I waited in the pool, 
and Aaron and Kessa were brought out, looking radiant as ever. They circled the two of us and then dove under the water for the final push. Two little ones emerged and began swimming around in circles as they experienced their new surroundings. Little Nasu surfaced and opened her eyes, staring directly at me. As much as I wanted to rush to her, I had to wait. She paddled her way over and pressed against my chest as tears flooded my eyes. Shortly afterwards, Aaron resurfaced and swam over to meet us. Jonah and Kessa also had a lovely baby girl that they named Penta. We all drew together and embraced as a new school together. Now that Nasu is here, Mom has already begun pestering us about her education, and it made me think about what you said about Raythea. With all of the pamphlets and info sheets that Mom has been sending, I think you should really think about potentially sending Astra to continue her education here on Vela. The institutions that Mom has found are all extremely high-rated and have extensive studies on both Velen and Hymovin in history. You did mention that Astra wanted to have some Velen friends, so what better place? Of course, I'm only kidding, but imagine the look on Raytheus' face if you were to tell her that Astra would be educated on a different planet, but it would be Vela. In fact, could you just tell her this anyways and send me a reaction vid? It would also probably be a huge deal to those traditionalists that managed to win over your election. I'm sorry that it didn't go as you were all expecting. We are so close to having a more natural interplanetary relationship. To have something like this cause issues for Hymovina has to be devastating. I know that we have something similar here with the anti-Hymovina movement, but thankfully, those voices are much quieter than it would appear your traditionalists are. Mostly, they just rant and protest that the Hymovina lifestyle is too far removed from our own and that we should think of Vela's needs first. What I think that both of these groups are missing out on is that as we grow as a society and expand our own reach across the stars, we will eventually come across others that may have a different viewpoint on nearly everything. It's only through learning to understand and embrace those differences that we evolve. Maybe when we get to a point where an ambassador from Vela can visit there, they can help educate your traditionalists that we really aren't as different as they think. I'm glad to see that the Haxa investigation has come to a logical result and that the VSA information made it there in time to help. It's just tragic that something like this happened in the first place. Please send my regards and appreciation to Jeremy and Selma for their expert handling of the situation. It's only with the support of both Haxa and the VSA that I think we will finally discover the cause of this anomaly and solve the problem that is facing both of our worlds. Hey, do you think you can teach Selma some new phrases in Valen? Assuming that she doesn't already know some. This way, at the next hearing, she can work some in just to throw off the traditionalists even more. I have never seen anything like that castle you sent photos of. It's huge. Did people on ancient Hymovina really live in places like that? While laying with Aaron and Nasu, I read them the story that you sent as we were getting ready for bed. 
Nasu drifted off about midway through, but Aaron didn't want to move and urged me to finish it. I have to ask, what happened to the castle after the invasion? Did the marauders succeed? Is that why the castle was in the state it was in? It's interesting that the Fieldstones played such an important role in the story. We know of the two pairs, but are there others? Did they ever find Ivar's stone? While we do have a lot of fascinating stories about our ancient times, there is nothing like that castle here on Vela. Any of the older structures here that would be close to that size were destroyed by flooding or seawater. It was only in the last few hundred rotats that the technology to preserve structures like that was even discovered. I guess the preservation of that site was something good that came from the Sidistanda. So, your royal highness, how many of the other houses have names that go back that far? You mentioned the Fjallstads and the Jorgensons, but are there any others? Could you experience any benefits to the legacy? When can you move in and live at that castle? More importantly, does it have a good guest room with easy access to the water and good humidity control? I'm uh, asking for a friend. You mentioned that Bjorn got to experience his first Heimavinen Gala. I understand that they don't have galas in the Alithian system, but instead have other types of high-end parties. What did he think about the experience? It had to be a pretty big deal for him, right? Was it a big difference? It sounded like he melded into the happenings with all of the grace he normally has. Also, this time you didn't have to end the evening fending for your life in a death-defying duel. And you got to go to a yacht party. Unless, of course, there was a duel on the yacht. There wasn't, was there? I am really not surprised that you and Bjorn are in a relationship now. It would seem that I am not the only one that has reached that conclusion as well. That being said, I'm extremely happy for you. I know that it's not the most traditional thing for a Heimavinen to find someone special after losing their mate. But as I have mentioned, our societies grow and evolve. There is no reason that you shouldn't find someone like Bjorn, who will love you as much as you deserve. The love you had with Andy will always be there, and I know you would never consider Bjorn as a replacement for that. Bjorn's love is just a different one. Aaron and I are really excited for the both of you. So what does that mean for your life on Heimavina? Now that you are in a relationship, will he be moving there, or are you going to move to Viron? What about the prospects of going through another marriage? If you don't plan on doing that, you can rely on the fact that you have already gone through the Velen pairing ceremony with Bjorn. I mean, you drank each other's Kelta, so in Velen terms, you're already paired. Seriously though, Aaron has already started to research various things we can do here that are a couple related for when you two visit. We know that Bjorn likes his breweries, so she is planning a visit to Javi's father's farm so Bjorn can see, first web, the Sidrus brewing process. Who knows, maybe he can convince Lars to open up one back there. In the meantime, Aaron and I are settling into our new normal with Nasu. At only two annuals old, we are graced with this lovely period where everything is still quiet. 
I know that it won't last, and Aaron is dreading it ending. Right now, she can actually get some work done. From what we have learned from Soma and Joru, mostly, we have about one to two more annuals of this before all of the screaming and demanding starts. This would explain why this is the time when we are accommodating a stream of visitors at the flat. Everyone wants to come over and visit with Nasu while she's still in the sleepy stage. It would seem like every other cycle, we are expecting someone new. Javi has been over almost nonstop. He even knelt in front of her and pledged to be her protector. When he brought out something that looked like a replica Heimavinen sword, I almost tackled him. He admitted that he only brought it out as a joke to see how I would react. I am attaching a whole flood of photos for you of everyone here with little Nasu. There is even a great one of Javi asleep on the couch holding her. It's almost identical to one I took of him in pay. This leads me to a big question Aaron and I wanted to ask you. As much as we love Javi, we would like you to be Nasu's pastoral. We are confident that travel will be available soon, and with Haimavina lifespans being so much greater than Velen, we wanted you to be a part of her life, should anything ever happen to either of us. Of course, the odds of that happening are pretty rare, and most of the time the pastel's role is just an honorary thing. So, what do you say, Auntie CJ? May the waves guide and protect us. Jason, 57. You have been listening to an episode of The Binary Saga. The part of CJ is played by Vanessa Shannon Anderson. The part of Jason is played by Steve Petricelli. Thank you to our Patreon members, Rob and Mary Carnahan, Samantha, and Dr. Layla. If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting our Patreon page, which can be found in the Where to Find Us menu on our website. We have multiple levels of support, with a lot of fun features like transcripts and photos. Or if you just want to donate to our cafe, Bjor, or Sidrus funds, it's always appreciated. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook with at the Binary Saga. Want to ask us questions? You can join us on Discord for open chat. Find all of these links and more information at BinarySaga.com. You can read the print version of the entire first and second season in Kindle or paperback on Amazon. These versions include a number of extra stories and background information. Just search for The Binary Saga.